Welcome to Victory Over Self Radio, a podcast that dives into all things athletics. On today's episode, we dive into the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association's National Conference held in Nashville this past summer. Uh, That's the NHS SCA, if you're not familiar. And if you're at the high school level, I, I highly suggest that you guys Get a part of this organization and contribute as it's been a, a tremendous resource for me and my career and especially when it comes to uh, working at the high school level and the different resources there. We discuss a variety of topics uh, especially pertaining to the high school level but also athletic development as a whole. Some of the speakers were Bobby Stroop, Cody Hughes, Des Ryan among others. Uh, there was quite a few quite a few nuggets that I got and we'll dive through them in this episode. Hope you enjoy. Summer is the conference time it's the time to get out to to some seminars and it seems like we're all uh learning a lot heading to different places and ross i know you and i this upcoming weekend you're coming up to virginia i'm heading out to minnesota and you were recently at the national conference for high school strength conditioning it seemed like anywhere i was looking on social media this thing was being advertised blown up tons of good positives I know while you were there, you were sending Blair and I some, hey, check this out. Hey, I have this idea. And it seemed like you had some good takeaways, met some good people. So, yeah, let's just kind of recap how how you thought that national conference went. And definitely it was a first for you, and it's going to be a, a first for all of us kind of hearing about it. So initially, Ross, what were some of your big takeaways as far as you've been to a, a an NSCA conference, you've been to... Uh, some smaller, more private ones. Uh, have you been to a CSCCA? I haven't been to any of those. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, we, we've been to the big national ones. Uh, we've been to some smaller, um, almost private-ish ones. So how would you compare uh, high school nationals uh, versus everything else you may have been to? Yeah, so the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association had their nationals national conference in Nashville, um, which I hadn't been to Nashville, had some hot chicken. That was pretty legit, actually. Um, had some, oh, had, right. had, some yeah. had some good banana pudding, but nevertheless, uh, it was a really good event. I mean, it was, uh, I got an Airbnb with a couple coaches, which is definitely the way to go at a national conference. Like that was, that was really solid. Uh, just kind of hanging around and talking. Um, <clears throat> met a bunch of dudes interacting on social media, which was cool. And being at the high school level and being able to interact with all the other guys that are also at the high school level was probably the highlight there because you're kind of talking the same thing and nobody was uh, nobody really had an ego about them. You know, you're you're all you're all at that level. Nobody knows whose logos mean anything, uh, and so you're just talking to each other, hanging out. Uh, but they had, I think, compared just kind of a general theme because Coach uh, Schofield. I was talking to him a little bit and he was just kind of asking questions about or really just wanting good feedback on the event compared to, you know, other national conferences or different ones you go to. And I would say it was definitely the best national conference I've been to as far as um, interacting with people and just learning a bit because uh, I felt like you could just talk to anybody. And it had de- it definitely had a, a small conference feel compared to – now it was like 300 coaches, you know, but compared to like an NSCA nationals, which obviously is more coaches, um, but it certainly was a, a smaller feel to it. Um, so, but the first day they had a, uh, I mean, they had like a, 
like a dinner thing that night. But then the next day they had uh, Bobby Shroop talk for six hours, which was un- or five or six wow. hours or whatever it was. It was it was a lot. <laughs> and so uh, it was kind of a mix of, of presentation and, and hands on stuff. And that was that was really good. I mean, he had some good uh, some thoughts that I know, Chris, you definitely talked about as far as just movement kind of because he's got a PT background and then training wise, integrating all that stuff. Um, I think the biggest, I think the, the, a big line from him that I really liked was um, I know what you don't have to do. You know, you can do whatever you want, but I know what I don't need to do to get better and improve whatever it is, which I personally really like that because I know it, I can at least speak from when you're working with different coaches, they're like, Hey, you know, we did this back 20 years ago or 10 years ago and it got the job done and, and I might disagree with it. And Hey, I can still do this other thing and get, get that done. So I know what I don't have to do. Um, and the other part that I really liked was he was making the point that, uh, our programs, as a strength and conditioning coach, and he didn't, he wasn't, he was calling, wasn't using that term, but uh, our job should be talent identification. So if a coach comes to us, we should be able to say, you know, these kids have, you know, the most potential at these skills or just overall talent. And, and if your program is not broad enough or, isn't testing or or tracking or training the right things you're not going to be able to do that and that's a huge resource as a strength coach to be able to identify talent i know that's that's a big thing that that i'm doing at our school particularly just kind of with the jumps and sprints that we do of like if there's a random kid that comes Mm -hmm. to workouts and i get them on a fly or i get them on a jump i'll i'll text the track coach that that day and say hey i got this kid i don't know if you've talked to him but they had a really good uh fly time really good jump might be something you want to look at uh as far as getting them out for the sport wow you know whatever that and and it it applies for track but it can do any of your other teams you know i know with our football team there's different kids you know you get them on the the laser and all the other stuff and it's like hey man this kid has this physical potential but if we can bring up the the football ability or the knowledge, I guess you would say there, there's going to be a ton of potential there. Um, Chris Blair, I don't know if y'all have a thought there as far as the talent identification piece. Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, colleges, they're always talking multi-sport athletes, right? And you're only going to benefit from being in other sports. So if you have someone who's just playing football, right. And you see that in the weight room on the field, they are, fast they are explosive getting them reps in track or some other sport might benefit them there's no doubt about it we know that um but you know if if you have the ability to you know track uh data right now you have a quantitative way to show that and hey let's let's get this guy out the track coach that's going to help them 
I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's what came to my mind. That's a pretty cool way to word it, and kind of another motivating factor for us to keep data and track and quantify and, and all that, like you were just saying, Blair. Um, I, I think especially for you guys having hands more in the high school setting, that's absolutely perfect, right? And where, where I'm at in college, uh, yeah, I, I can help coaches understand like, hey, this guy's really fast. And if he's slow in the sport, it's probably because he has no idea what he's doing, right? <laughs> and then be like, you, you should coach him up on the uh, the the IQ of the game or go over your systems or go over video with them. Because I've had coaches say all the time, man, this guy is just, just like a deer in the headlights. He's so slow out there. And I'll just say like, no, he's he, she, are, they're one of the fastest athletes we have. So clearly their lack of speed during the game or during the competition comes from just freezing, not knowing what to do with their body, the lack of skill, the lack of game IQ. So that's pretty cool. And I, I think that's awesome, Ross, that someone will run a good 10 fly and you'll text the coach and be like, Hey, just so you know, we, we have this stud uh, here in our school who, who should be running. That's uh that's big time. So that's a good point. And to Tony Holler's credit, he's really helped me understand make your best athletes look the best in the weight room, right? Set things up so that the people who are the game changers in the game who make the big plays look the best. Otherwise you can make the argument that your program is not transferring to the sport, right? If the best players of the sport don't look the best in the weight room, maybe you should reevaluate your exercises or what you're tracking and measuring. Mm. Yeah, and then he got into because uh, he was kind of bouncing around, but <clears throat> the the big thing for him was just talking about building this really big uh, foundation of of movement and being able to go a bunch of different ways and, and do different stuff. And obviously, we've seen all the videos of uh, Patrick Mahomes and doing all the throws and the lunges and all that stuff. Yeah, um, but he gave a really uh, great visual and example of. Uh, aspen trees, which I don't know if you know anything about aspen trees because I did not. Uh, they only they no. only no. they only grow in aspen, <clears throat> and he shows this picture of uh, this hillside. If you're looking at the side of this mountain and you see all these trees, it's actually only uh, one tree. It's one continuous tree. So you could have you know twenty to you know you have all these trees, but they're actually all connected. It is basically just a giant root system. Um, instead of 50 separate trees, they're all connected through roots. And his, uh, point there was, I want to spend all this time connecting all of these, uh, roots or spreading these roots out over the side of a mountain. And then when they're playing football, when they're playing baseball, when they're playing soccer or whatever, that's when you start seeing the different trees in different spots that, Hey, I'm getting all this growth over here with, with football. Now I need to go over here. I need to grow some more in basketball. And then it kind of helps feed into each other uh, with that continuous network, which I, I did like that a lot. Um, Cause then he got to talking about, which I didn't realize this, I guess his big passion is youth development. You know, that's where he started like young kids. Um, that was kind of, that's kind of his thing. And so, and he was mentioning that, 
he was a big fan of one by twenty, just because it built a big a big root system. And then our job uh, with that is to you don't need to get to those. Obviously, like we all know, you don't need to get to those fancy things until they absolutely need it. But most importantly, they need to be able to move well first, and then you can worry about all the all the other stuff. And then he spoke. He was within the movement. You know, got into good spinal. I'm not going to call it spinal hygiene, uh, spinal uh, engine. And that, that was his thing of talking about that. And if I've got a good spinal engine, I'm going to have good hips. So good, all the movements there. But it was it was pretty interesting. And he and then he went through a huge, like, practical section of all of these different uh, movements, crawls, a lot of, like, locomotion uh, things and rhythm and all that kind of stuff. Um, doing a lot of... Uh, all the multi-planar work, which I got about halfway through it. And then I stopped doing it and I just went and got my phone and recorded because I couldn't remember any of this. So I taped like the back, yeah. I taped like the back half of it because it was just, it was so much and he was just running through it that I knew that I couldn't have really used any of it to be honest with you if I didn't record it. Um, the, those are the big takeaways from him. I don't know if y'all have got any extra thoughts or any questions there with, with Stroop. We were talking a little bit, Ross, to give some specific examples here of modifying your Wednesdays. And so what were some of the things that uh, Bobby Stroop was talking about that really like caught you? What were some of the new things that maybe you haven't gone over in the past? Yeah, so it was, he, he was talking about the weekly layout which was kind of which was nice to see because it was very similar to what uh what i do and chris i know you do of you're basically for the most part uh working slow to fast particularly in season you're working slow to fast meaning strength is on the kind of beginning of the week and then we're working towards speed at the end of the week uh off season is a little different where uh your your friday or your last day is like your strength volume day but uh, I know for me and what I did this this past year, Mondays were always a jump day. Tuesdays were a sprint day. Wednesdays I would do kind of like a acceleration broad jump, and then Thursday I would jump again, and then Friday I would sprint, and then or actually sorry, Thursday I would sprint, and then Friday I would jump. Um, so kind of alternating the days. So then Stroop was talking about that on their week he likes to do jump on Monday, sprint on Tuesday, Wednesday is like a mobility day. Thursday is both jumping and sprinting. <clears throat> so a big power day. And then Friday is our, is our big kind of strength volume day going into the weekend to then be ready to go for, for Monday, Tuesday. And we're jumping on Monday before sprinting just to get everything kind of ready to go for Tuesday to be our big, big sprint day. And so I, I, I did like the, the middle of the week mobility work because I know that's something for our kids. I know that we need to do, and I don't necessarily do a great job of it. I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll do stuff in our warm up, and I'll, and I'll throw in different movements where they, they do need to move, but being able to throw in say different ISO stuff that we don't normally do, uh, whether it's a push up ISO, bunch of dead hang work, a uh, bunch of different uh, split squat ISOs, whatever it may be can throw that stuff in there and then you could get specific if a kid needed a little more ankle work or T-spine or whatever, but you could get into that and, and 
I think that could be super beneficial because then it also makes for us in my setting. Um, cause on Wednesdays it's a shorter class period it's 20 minutes. And then we also don't have any games on Wednesdays. It's like a school thing for church and whatnot. So there's zero, there's never games on Wednesdays. And so, <clears throat> uh, if you're following like a high low model, it can then make Wednesday a legit low day um, by throwing true love throwing yeah. throwing in that middle mobility ISO whatever, and then you're good to go Thursday Friday. So I really like the idea of that, and I think that that's something that I will implement that I got from him. Nice. And is is Bobby or did he talk about at this conference uh, doing any sort of screen or assessment? So you mentioned if some people need some more T spine work. Uh, we could use our coach's eye. We could screen. We could assess that. But did he mention anything specifically? Like, hey, we run them through this. We run them through that. No, he didn't mention anything specific. But he, but he was saying that they did. Um, I mean, with the PT background, I'm sure he okay. just like watches them, and he's like, yeah, they need to, they need to do this. Because then he was he was making really good points mm-hmm. about, uh, particularly with throwers, was his example being working with a bunch of quarterbacks of having muscle mass in the right areas and not just building muscle mass to build muscle mass. Uh, and he was, he gave his specific example and I cannot remember this name to save my life. He was a quarterback at Texas and now he's with the Colts. Uh, but he had two, he had a before and after picture of, uh, when he first got out of Texas and essentially looked like his upper back looked like every other college football player in the country from doing a bunch of cleans, uh, really big traps, uh, really just upper back is super highly developed, but more so in like the neck, uh, trap region, upper trap region. And then after X amount of time with Stroop, it then kind of his upper trap was a little less muscle mass, but his lower trap had gotten more muscle mass and more so the bottom side and his mid back, uh, which is more, more yeah. beneficial for throwing than, uh, just cause we can move the scap around better with that. And, and then his, like his exit velocity on his throws went up like 10 miles an hour. It was something stupid, um, throwing wise. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, and that's, and that's after college yeah, you're saying, yeah, yeah. He, wow. he, uh, I think it was like, he was, cause he had a video, I think it was like 60, 61 miles an hour, which I guess is like the normal NFL exit velo for a football and i think he was in like low 50 low 50s uh when they first got him but i think that had a little bit to do with the scap and again the less muscle mass and being able to kind of move around better uh but that that i thought was really interesting and it was something and it's something that uh if you listen to enough super high level uh, super high level guys that are dealing with your high level athletes they talk about having muscle mass in the right areas and not having excess muscle mass, mm. say for like track guys, because they'll they'll slow down because it's not the right amount of muscle mass or whatever it may be. So that that was uh, that was pretty pretty eye opening seeing that and kind of reaffirming the shoulder stuff. I know that I do as far as trying to really develop the lower trap compared to upper trap. So share a little bit, Ross, about what you're doing to. Yeah, grow, grow muscle in the lower trap versus the upper trap. Uh, for me, it's more uh, 
I mean, we're hammering up a basically fully introduced our YTCW series. Um, we're chest mm-hmm. supported on the bench doing the Y raise T C and W that's going to be the main thing. Um, the Y's and T raises, and then any sort of, although it's not direct per se, um, any sort of the overhead carries and then kind of getting mm-hmm. into the dead hangs with your scaps pinched down. Um, and mm-hmm. instead of letting them hang, you go the other way. Um, I haven't, yeah. I haven't introduced those yet, but they're, they're showing up eventually because we're, we are doing a good bit more dead hangs recently. Um, just cause I'm, I'm finding the right places to put them in and it's just easy to do. And I don't really have that much space to hang honestly. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. to set that up and set that up and do it. But no, that's gonna, that's really my main thing is hammering that every, every single day. Nice. Uh, something that I, I, I been experimenting on myself and I finally put into a workout. We had a low intensity today, low intensity day today for a Tuesday was hanging abs right so dead hangs nothing wrong with them right but i i only have six places to hang as well so i had my players hanging you know from from a pull-up bar and doing knee raises or leg raises and so maybe a way to kind of throw it in there and kill uh, sort of two birds with one stone but okay so those are some of the things you're doing for lower trap were there any specifics that you took away that um, Bobby Stroop was like, Hey, this works great. Try this out. Or yeah. Any, any kind of thoughts or suggestions that he may have given? No, but he was essentially big on, on every single joint getting into frontal sagittal and transverse somehow, some way, like just getting into every direction possible. Um, Whether it was doing it with your shoulder, doing it with your wrist. I mean, all, all of it that like, on that practical thing, I mean, I'm talking for an hour and a half, two hours, probably four hours total. I mean, you were, they were on the gym floor doing all this movement stuff. Um, and it was a lot, it was, it was a lot. And so I've still got to look back and look at the video, but it was more so just getting those joints moving around and in the different ways. Um, and then he was showing, and then he was showing different pictures, uh, just like, then when they were finishing rows, like having their hands in different positions, but he was on, it was on a special machine they had. I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, it wasn't nothing specific there, but it was definitely way more. His whole topic thing was really more about the, the movement itself. Other than not really the lifting side per se. Ross, I'm glad you, you mentioned the different planes of uh, movement. It's something I had kind of scribbled down. Um, as you're talking, because uh, it made me think of uh, the other gym I used to work at, one of the coaches, he liked to really have an order of operations as far as like in training through the weeks of a program, moving from like mm-hmm. sagittal to frontal before moving on to more transverse movements, exercises that are going to, you know, kind of have both sagittal and frontal, right? If you're doing a lunge or you're doing uh, a squat, you're going to see a little bit of maybe anything or, you know, a lot of our basic exercises in the gym are going to mm-hmm. have both of those things, but transverse being more rotational, it, it would seem to be that it might be more um, taxing, I guess. 
in a way. Yeah, he got into some he got into some med ball stuff uh, targeting that. But like, for example, for example, um, we were holding the top of a push up, and then you did normal mountain climbers. Then you did mountain climbers with your knee popped out to the side, like bringing them up to your elbow, like a Spider Man push up. I think is what mm-hmm. they would call it. And then it was, yeah, yeah. and then it was twist. It was your top of the push up. I take my right leg and I bring it under my left for your mm-hmm. transverse, like that, like that right there. You got all three planes. And then it was, yeah, a little kick through. And then it yeah. was uh, like a uh, a bear crawl through. position, same exact kind of thing. And then it would be like a crab position, similar. It was all, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the med ball was a great example, right? Like, um, I remember from the program, right. We didn't do any, you know, side to side over the head med ball tosses, any of the rotational tosses. It was off the chest, over the head, between the legs, kind of keg tosses before we ever moved on to, you know, the rotational kind of stuff. I think that was just the idea. My ball would have been a great example, but my brain. We'll give you the pass. You just moved. <laughs> uh, with with some of this stuff, Blair is it ringing any bells from when you had the uh, original strength uh, original strength uh, seminar certification, whatever at, at your gym? Um, is some of the stuff Ross set is saying kind of ringing a bell? Because for me, it seems like there's. Uh, multiple different people all kind of talking about the same thing, but just in a different way or a different term. Like they're all writing the same concept in a book. They're just, you know, their, their book is titled something a little different. Um, so I know like with original strength, they're big on the vestibular system. They're big on a lot of rolling and crawling patterns. So for me, uh, the stuff Ross is saying, that's where I feel like I kind of have my background of, Okay, yeah, I, I've I've heard of that from original strength. Are you somewhat on the on the same page there? Yeah, when you're when you were started talking about that stuff, um, I mean, you just kind of hit the nail on the head and took the words out of my mouth. Um, yeah. Original strength, it all mm-hmm. comes from babies, right? Nodding first, right, and then they start to rock, and then they start to roll, and then you get into crawling. Mm-hmm and so forth, right? That's that's the original strength model, essentially. And so, what, what, do, you, what do you think the original yeah. strength is tailored mm-hmm. to? Probably not a high-performance model. Good, good point. Right? Whereas these guys, that's where they come from. And so, I think if you compare mm-hmm. the two, there's probably a lot of carryover and a lot of other coaches, too. Um, yeah, you know, yep, is, yep. uh, is it Tim Anderson from original mm-hmm. strength? You know, he's probably looking more at like the everyday person. Um, so, uh, that's, that's what I would say with that. I think, yeah, there's, there's probably a lot of things that original strength does that mm-hmm. you could throw into a program that'll benefit an athlete. Right. Yeah, no, that's, uh. That's a good point. Kind of just making the distinction. And I think the words you used was like high performance. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so Ross, with all the practical stuff that you guys were doing, were there any new uh, crawling variations that stood out to you 
or if you're not currently or this past year doing crawls regularly, did it um, switch your mind up a little bit of like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this. It's confirmed. I'm keeping it or I'm not doing this. I love it. Let me add it in. Yes. I mean, we, uh, we crawl every single day, whether it's forward, backwards, Mm -hmm. lateral, somehow, some way we crawl. We also do cartwheels every single day. Oh, nice. Because our kids hate them. And it's yeah. 50-50 split on whether or not they're any good at them. And so we do them all the time. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a, several coaches that were talking about crawling and doing that. There was one coach, and uh, forgive me because I do not remember who said it, but he was talking about block zero and like a little nugget from like their crawl and rolling segment on the crawl was uh, – telling the kids to try to be last, like instead of try to be first, like try to be the last one mm. to the line, uh, which is, which was a super little nugget. That's like, yeah, because all the kids try to just fly through it versus take it one step at a time and try not to versus take it one step at a time versus uh, all my kids race basically or try to race to the end. And then you have to try yeah. to stop them. But that little one was, mm-hmm. was big as far as that goes. Um, if I had 50,000 pull-up bars, I would dead hang all the time. Like, like I, for me, I dead yeah. hang every day for my workout. Like I'll dead hang in the warm up Cause when I do that, it usually squares up my back and my hips. Uh, like mm-hmm. every, usually everything feels tight, but then I do that. And I've actually been doing it lately, Chris, since you mentioned the abs, I've actually been doing it mm-hmm. lately with my knees, not up to 90, like an ISO, like like an ab, but more just, I bring my knees up. So my, my back isn't so flexed. It's more neutral. Yeah. And that's been, Mm -hmm. that I feel has made a huge difference on the dead hang itself. And I feel like it's made a, it's a little more, uh, direct as far as on the, the hang part, uh, which has made Mm -hmm. a big difference for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, for Stroop, it was a bunch of the movement stuff and that was cool. Um, I'll need to send you all the video that I took and the different notes. The other big thing that well, there's really two things that were overlapping because you're talking about overlapping is Stroop was talking about functional hypertrophy. Cody Hughes was talking about mm-hmm. functional hypertrophy and perfect. Yeah. Let's get into that. And yeah. the point being with, with that was uh, basically comparing because Cody was talking about your, your fluff muscles versus your dense muscles and your functional hypertrophy is the is your dense making the muscles more dense basically and because uh, cody was talking about time under tension and doing it you know if i do three seconds down i do five sets of five three seconds down that's going to be 15 seconds of tension well the functional uh quote unquote functional hypertrophy time zone is 20 to 40 seconds which is similar to DB Hammer's, you know, uh, tier two, which is technically ten, mm-hmm. which is technically t- uh, ten to forty, but close enough for me. Um, Twenty to forty seconds being that little sweet spot, and uh, so Stroop was talking about that, having that right functional hypertrophy. Cody's talking about that, doing it with the time under tension through the tempos and whatnot. So those were two super overlapping things, and I think that, and particularly with the youth kids at least that I'm seeing, and I'm definitely shifting gears to 
I definitely didn't do it before, but I'm certainly adding in more volume work, particularly on the upper body um, for that muscle mass that they really don't have and getting that, like they're saying, that functional hypertrophy in the right movements. And I'm doing it on the legs, but I'm doing it more on the legs through in their warm up, you know, doing sets of 20 goblet squats and things like that. And then their main lift being uh, lower volume on the on the legs, but upper body wise, definitely up in, up in the volume there. Sorry. I, I was just writing down a note here. Um, so which zone were you saying that, uh, Cody Hughes functional hypertrophy time lined up with, with DB hammer that zone two, the 10 to 40. Okay. Um, cause, okay. cause the functional hypertrophy is 20 to 40. And then your peak strength, basically according to Poliquin, is like zero to 20 and then mm. 20 to 40 is functional hypertrophy. And then, uh, 40 to 60 is the other one. So I first heard of timing sets from Louis Simmons, Matt Wenning, right? Uh, I, I don't want to say discovered, but really dove deep into those guys kind of at the same time. And maybe in one of Louis, uh, Louis books, he writes about like, and I would just take the take 80 pound dumbbells and bench them for a minute straight. Right. And Matt, when they talked about it and then from that base, I heard Cal Dietz talking about using timed sets. So with all this, right. I just, this is kind of my open question for both of you. Do you ever think it's worth our time or it's valuable to time out, with specific exercises, how much time it takes to complete 10 repetitions, right? So like if you're squatting and you do a set of 10, how long does that take versus benching doing a set of 10? How long does that take to better prescribe rep ranges or better prescribe how many reps they should get in a certain amount of time? Um, As I'm saying this, have you guys thought about this before or is it kind of jogging anything in your brain? Yeah, in my in my uh, brain, I I heard something about this. Um, you have to have different times, I think, for different um, exercises, just because that lever arm for exercises is going to be different based on the movement. If you're moving through a long range of motion, it's going to take a lot longer to do, so you're not going to get as many reps. But if it is through a shorter range of motion, then it's going to be, you're going to be able to get a lot more reps. Yeah. Cody was using, uh, Cody actually was using, he showed me the video. He had a metronome going over top the music in the weight room for their tempo work. Like they would, yeah, they'd have the music and then they would just in the background would have it. So the guys would actually hit, you know, five seconds versus just two. And I was, I was, I was like, dude, how are you sitting? I don't know if I could handle that as far as like, as a coach all day with the metronome. He's like, honestly, man, you don't even really notice it after a while. Um, but I thought that was a good idea. I just don't know if I could listen to it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. Cause I, I know like, uh, for helping people understand rhythm and timing with, uh, just running, not necessarily sprinting. I'll play 
a metronome just off of Google. If you type in mm-hmm. metronome and blast it over the speakers so that they could hear it in the hallway and try to sync them up to how fast they would need to move for 160 steps per minute, 170 steps per minute. Um, but that would be interesting having a metronome playing over the top. That's something. And uh, yeah. So with these timed sets, just again, there's me just kind of thinking, have you guys messed around at all in your own training with doing timed sets and have you implemented it at all at the, the levels that you guys are at? So for me personally, I used to do time sets a lot when I was working with uh, college wrestlers, but not so much anymore with uh what i'm doing now with 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 hockey guys but uh what about you guys i haven't done it yet i'll do it at some point i just don't know when (laughs) i uh i would love i would love to i think i could i think i could probably do it this year with my older kids that have been around and they just kind of know um i think i could do it then uh i think the I do think the, the most beneficial part of a time set is just for lower body. Like you were saying, like you both were saying earlier on a squat, you could say that it takes two seconds, but it's going to, uh, it's going to take three or four at, per rep, but it also depends on how yeah. heavy it is. Like if it's lighter, I can just keep going. I mean, for bench, you could easily count on a second per rep. And some people will say two, but like, if you're just going, it's, it's a second rep and squat, I would say it's two seconds, but I think that's probably where it's the most beneficial because I think you would be surprised at the lack of volume that you get on your legs when you do a time set for like a true Mm -hmm. 20 to 30 seconds, like the, how low of a rep count you get versus on an upper body bench, you will get Mm -hmm. 20 some odd reps. Yeah. Now, guys, I might be asking a stupid question here, but um, that's my job. During a timed set, and we have somebody squatting high intensity, let's just throw out a number like 85, 90. Are we, are we counting during the walkout and the setup too? That No, that's a really good question. I don't right. know. I know I didn't. Right? Is it your, your working time? Yeah. Yeah, but... I, when I have done, and now literally as we're talking here, I, I'm realizing like, what am I talking about? I use timed sets all the time. I just finished a nine week, uh, triphasic cycle going 30 seconds, 10 and six. So yeah, I use time sets like crazy. Uh, I just didn't think about like doing as many reps as you can in a certain amount of time. Uh, but yeah, typically I only timed it with, as you're doing the repetitions, not the, the walkout or pausing or, or anything like that. Mm. But I, yeah, I think that's a good, good question to bring up and ask because depending on how you're looking at it. Yeah. Your spine is under tension. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's what I would think too. Like, all right, while we're squatting, that's the time. If we want 20 seconds, 30 mm-hmm. seconds, that's what I would want. But then you've got, you know, Jim over here, who takes two steps back and goes, and then you got Frank over here who takes four steps back, yeah. takes a breath, takes another breath. And all of a sudden he's been under the bar for 15 seconds already. He mm-hmm. hasn't squatted yet. So 
It's just something that came to my mind. Yeah. So when I did them at Liberty, I only they they only started counting when they did their rep. So like they would take the bar off, and then when they actually started their rep is when the time would start. And I w- I also had the rule where you could not pause. Like there was no rest. And so now the weight was also yeah. lighter. So it wasn't like a 90% set, but you know, there's 70, 75, 80 on the bar and there was no pause. And if you had to pause, you were done per se, uh, for the most part, like it couldn't just be, I'm taking a pause every two seconds. It's like, if I, if you crank out five and then I got to take a breath, cool. But it can't just be like, I just pause every second. With, uh, kind of last thing we before we beat this time under tension horse to death uh <laughs> did he mention uh using tempo with it uh five second eccentric five second pause at the bottom all right that's 10 seconds do you three three repetitions of that that's your 30 seconds of time under tension and, and all all that kind of yeah thing. that's how cody was saying that they would do it again based off of Paquin. so it'd be like all right i'm gonna go this week is five set of five then it's five set of six then five set of seven with it could let's just say it's five seconds down so i went from mm-hmm. you know 25 total seconds to 30 to then 35 uh so I obviously up my time under tension um, you could, and you could count it even if you did uh, three seconds down in a three second pause, six seconds per rep, however many reps you do to get to that ballpark of 20 to 40 seconds. So that's just how he was doing it. It wasn't, um, you know, just running a clock, but it was just based off an easy way to calculate it. Where if you did the, uh, the tempo and the number of reps, you could figure that one out. Um, but the kind of shifting gears, the other big one from from that and really the last kind of big takeaway or thing that i found interesting from the conference was from a a guy named des ryan who works uh, i know he worked with arsenal at one point i don't know if he still does but he was talking about profiling with youth athletes and his big thing was comparing uh biological versus chronological age and they, mm, yeah. they, they had a, basically they had done a study and they have a formula that's based off of the parent's height to determine how far along a kid is in puberty versus how old they are. So, for example, if a kid is uh, 14 or 13 years old, you measure his height and then he could be, you know, let's say he's 5'8 or 5'9 at that age, he could be at. 90% of what his adult height is going to be. Um, whereas he could be, uh, so, so if we did that example, he's really is like 15 or 16, according to his bi- uh, biology, but chronologically he's, uh, 13, 14. So he's a couple years behind or ahead, I should say, or vice versa. A kid could be 14, but then he's 80% of his adult height. So biologically he's 12. And he's got a couple years to catch up. And the the point the mm. point of his thing was he had these and he had these pictures of like these five or six kids that uh, long story short, the kid that was the tallest at uh, 14 or whatever the age was ended up being the shortest uh, at 18. 
And then the kid that was the shortest at 14 or whatever ended up being the tallest and just, uh, work, you know, for these youth teams, particularly in the U S or really anywhere, you know, these kids are going to get picked that are more mature first, but they still have these other kids that are late bloomers that have a ton of potential. They're just not at their, at their peak heights where this kid that's already the biggest kid couldn't might not be getting any taller and it's as tall as he's going to get. And we got to catch up on that end, but he had a formula that, uh, could kind of track that and it took into equations like obviously there are some kids that are actually taller than their parents so it kind of it kind of uh, graded it where it would track kind of where you're supposed to be over time and and as you enter in more numbers it gets more accurate and all that kind of stuff but that was really interesting and i think that's something super useful to obviously the high school level where kids are obviously worried about their ghost spurts and all that kind of stuff but I don't know how easy it would that would be to implement at any anywhere, but it was just something that was interesting to yeah. to keep in to keep in mind of late bloomers, early bloomers, that type of stuff. So this is just interesting for me of uh, talking with uh, Coach at Liberty a lot recently, uh, Coach Ben Hughes. He's talked to me a lot about the European model, and so you mentioned this guy was from Arsenal. Right, like in the uh, Premier League, England, and all that, Ross? Yep. Yeah, so I I had no idea, but like apparently if you have a, a professional team and no matter the sport, they have like youth or like a junior organization from like U18 all the way down to let's just call it like U8. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know they had that for hockey. So let's just say you have um, uh, locally here uh, in Virginia, you we have uh, the Washington Capitals. So they have the Washington Capitals, and then they have like the U18 Washington Capitals and U16, right? And I'm pretty sure we have that in America for hockey, actually. But I guess they have that for soccer. I guess they probably have that for basketball. And so it's kind of like this giant funnel where your U12 coach is talking with the premier league of Arsenal's coach as well. It's just this giant funnel. So I guess you could have that for that European model because these kids stay on the same team and just keep it getting higher and higher within the ranks and within the systems. So if you have a guy who just, you know, is looking this up and researching it, it seems like, yeah, you could get a lot of good data from it because these people are so loyal to the soil and to their uh, club or organization or, or whatever. So yeah, it, a month ago I would have been like, Oh, that's interesting. But now I guess I can <laughs> kind of understand and relate to where it's coming from or how it's uh, coming about. Well, cause they're bit, well at that age, they are, uh, they're technically professional players and like they're adding and dropping these kids. And so, that's and crazy. that's like, and like you said, they're, they're starting at a young age and then they're bringing them all the way through. Well, you're deciding whether or not you're going to keep this kid around or not based off of his mm-hmm. potential and, or you're going to drop him, And then this other team picks him up and you had him, but you're an idiot. <laughs> and so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was really interesting, really interesting points that he made. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it's too how some kid like, 
out of nowhere, somebody becomes the the MVP of the league and they were super underscouted or uh, had poor talent identification. And I guess that's a, a good way to show why, you know, like we've heard it all the time, but there truly are just late bloomers, right? The, the, the men and women who don't hit their physical maturity or peak or whatever until later after everybody's already gotten their full ride NCAA D one scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that makes sense uh, of how that could happen, but yeah, how to implement that at our, our levels and kind of figure that out. That would be a, a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Dude, tell me about uh, a good, good tell point. me about uh, remind me of the conference you're going to on Saturday or this weekend, I guess it's Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. Because obviously I'm going to CVAPS and you're going to this yeah. other one. Yeah. So obviously for me, I have gone down the speed path and gone down that pretty hard and shifted a lot of what I do with all the teams I work with, uh, having more of an emphasis on speed. And my my big mentors, Chris Corfus, Cal Dietz, Dan Fichter, they're all coming together and hosting their own sort of conference or sort of get together. And yeah, I, I remember kind of an late ish um, winter kind of hearing a whisper that they may not have a uh, TFC, uh, a track football consortium this summer, just with you know people being busy and kind of wanting a break. And uh, so they're not having uh, that, but Chris Corfus is still kind of teaming up with Cal and Dan and bringing together kind of everything they've been doing since COVID kind of hit all their sort of new thoughts. And um, they've all had some experiences. It kind of seems like Cal was doing stuff with his son and figure some stuff out. Kind of seems like Chris was uh, having some injuries with his track team that kind of uh, spurred some new thoughts and, and all that. So yeah, Friday I'll be flying out to, uh, the university of minnesota and we'll have uh, night one or day one uh, i think starting at around 5 p.m of yeah lectures hands-on and that'll be friday night all day saturday and then sunday morning i think we start at nine end at one so it was kind of like holy they couldn't fit this all into two days and it's it's spilling over into three so this is going to be a lot of information but hopefully Hopefully a lot of uh, affirmation, confirmation of some of the things that I'm doing, making me feel like I'm on the right path, especially uh, with Cal being big into the hockey world in Minnesota and uh, Chris and Dan being in the the track and field type of world at their uh, high schools. So, yeah, just looking forward to it. Learn a bit more about the feet, the core. That kind of seems to be some of the stuff that they're putting out there and promoting. And what I'm hoping for too is it, again, this is all, you know, on, on online and what I'm reading, nothing that I've heard from any of them yet, but it seems like they're going to do a lot of hands-on stuff on Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, Cal Deet saying, all right, we do this in this specific way at this specific time because of this. Mm. And I'm looking forward to Dan Fichter saying, okay, go stand over there here's exactly what my teams will do and do this and this and come away with some good practical 
uh, knowledge to go with all the theory that I'm sure they're going to present. What's your, what's your biggest question? Cause you always have a thousand questions. <laughs> oh yeah. You know it. Uh, so my biggest question right now is how they are more effectively or more efficiently tying the weight room into their sport. Mm. Cause it seems like they have gotten remarkably specific with what they're doing. Um, and we all kind of know the weight room as this kind of general thing, right? Not many things transfer. You, you increase your bench. Okay. Does that transfer to the sport? Who knows? So I want to know what are the specific things that they're kind of doing in the weight room that they feel is directly transferring. Uh, and yeah, it might just be one or two small tweaks that I need to make a, a shift in your hand position or your stance with your feet. But f- for me, that those are the things that are worth it. That's what will give me a leg up on the competition come fall, come come spring semesters. What is the thing that you are most, because uh, you follow those guys really well or very closely, yeah. What is yeah, yeah. what is the thing that you are most curious about from them that they are that you've either read from them or that they're doing that you have right now? Yeah. So let's just call it 2017. Chris Corfus came on my radar and from 2017 until 2021 he was big into now I don't train the core. I don't train the core. I don't do anything for the core. Now, here we are in July of 2022, and he has what seems to kind of be like two presentations about the core. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Interesting, right? Um, why? So I, I could kind of answer that why. And um, he had one year, I think it was last season, uh, and the 2021 track season where uh, a lot of his big runners got injuries, uh, they had hamstring issues. And Chris is Chris Corfus is known as he is the RPR guy. He doesn't have those injuries anymore. Um, he's he's the sprint guy. So I think he really had to dig deep and look into some stuff. And that's what I'm excited about. And so I have a decent ish knowledge going into it from talking with him and uh, seeing some of his more recent presentations. And um, even with that, I know there's still going to be a few more nuggets that he's he's going to be sharing that I, I would love to bring back for the boys here. Mm. <laughs> I'm expecting big things. Yeah, hey, me too. If yeah. if he just flat out comes out and says, hey, we're doing a thousand sit-ups a day, I'm just going to throw my hands in the air and <laughs> walk home. <laughs> so, hey, I everything I thought was just destroyed right then and there. My, this is no my uneducated guess is going to be something involving the spinal erectors and hips. That's my, that's yeah. my uneducated guess. Mine's going to be that you're going to take your thumbs and just jam them as hard as you can between <laughs> each abdominal new, new RPR spots, right. Mm. Uh, to kind of wake it up. But, if you could just uh, strap on a GoPro for the whole yeah. weekend that would be the, the best case scenario i think for maybe, us. maybe maybe i'll uh I'll, I'll talk to my it woman uh chantelle and ask her to uh hook me up with a a 
mobile uh, streaming there. Dude, I'm surprised you're not driving. Make it happen. To to miss, yeah. yeah. Hey, I I could right another couple hours. I could be at my uh, North Dakota summer home and uh, yeah, <laughs> hang say. out up there. Yeah, how far is that? How far is that from? North so Dakota? Minneapolis to Minot is it's either six or eight hours. I I can't remember, mm. but I've taken a train train ride there when I had a flight canceled uh, in in January of this year and. It was it was beautiful, beautiful country out there. Nice and flat, not a lot to look at. So the uh, the national high school conference is in Chicago next year, and oh, you best believe if Corfus isn't, which I don't know why he would, he wouldn't go to that. But I'm gonna have to find a way just to make it to yeah. the driveway. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but we're gonna figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, we we can make that happen. It it'll it'll be worth it. Uh, in gosh, I keep screwing up all my dates here, but it was either October, November. That's where uh, Jared and I we drove to Chicago and had uh, our our RPR level three, and at at Corfus House in the basement. It was crazy. It was like the uh, the the gif of uh, SpongeBob where the map uh, unfolds <laughs> and his eyes pop out and he's looking all over the map. That's how I felt. I was, I was looking all over and I was like, Oh man, I can't believe it. Finally, finally made it. Finally made it there. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for this and, uh, just to continue on with the speed journey. It, there's just so much to it. And, uh, especially being able to, Cal has four 1080 sprints. Chris has one. And just to be able to talk on the the different levels with those guys of, okay, how are you implementing this uh, use of technology? And how are you not, what do you not use it for? How are you um, using your weight room and measuring and testing things? So hopefully it just helps my system overall kind of become more well-rounded for making elite hockey players. And now for you, Ross, uh, you're heading to CVASPs. Talk to me a little bit about your first conference experience uh, when we went, gosh, was it two, three years ago? Holy. Um, Yeah. And then uh, kind of a a few expectations uh, for this one. Uh, Really? I mean, CVASPs was awesome. I think that was the first conference I actually felt like it was worth the time to go to. Uh, Yeah. Other times I didn't necessarily feel that way. Um, I'm definitely in a better, I'm definitely in a better place, uh, in terms of like just talking to people at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I think that helps also too, just being at a high school, I just go up to people say, Hey, what's up? I'm at this high school. Yeah. Nobody yeah. cares. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just randomly going up to dudes and, and girls talking to them. Uh, I think the, honestly, I don't have a single one that I am uh, specifically looking forward to. And I only say that because the last time I didn't, I had maybe one person that I was kind of waiting to listen to, but everybody was good. Mm-hmm. Like it was like every, everybody oh, yeah. was good. And so I think that'll mm-hmm. still be the, still be the, the case here. So no, man, I'm, I'm curious and, and just getting to talk to, talk to people. Um, I've definitely, like I, like I kind of already said, I've, I'm way better at just going up to people and talking now than what, than what I used mm-hmm. to be. Uh, I yeah. think it was just after that breakout TFC in Texas, just randomly go up to people and say, what's up? Here we are. 
Yeah. Yeah. What you made such a good point. So the, the background for that is you went to a, a, a conference by yourself there and you're just forced to talk to people, right? Like you don't want to be the, the loser over by himself mm-hmm. in the corner there. And two, when you don't have somebody else to kind of rely on for conversation, it, it kind of opens you up to the opportunity. Like, yeah, let me go talk to them. Now, uh, we could kind of, you know, sort of start to wrap it up here, but when you went to this, you know, national high school conference, did you feel like there were no egos necessarily, or is it people who were less insecure? Oh, right, does does that question make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think the less insecure is probably a way better way to put it. Be- mm-hmm. because I think you typically <clears throat> most high school guys that I meet that are just that are that are doing strength conditioning at the high school level one they're usually older than me and they're usually mm-hmm. um, middle-aged guys that are just high school strength coaches they've been doing it a long time and there's no there's certainly no ego there and they're just confident in what they do and uh, mm-hmm. it's really more uh, I think with them, it's more about definitely helping each other because we're, we're dealing with 95% of the population that doesn't go on to play college athletics. And at at that point, Mm -hmm. it's really more just getting them squared away and, and moving, moving good and help each other out. Uh, Because I I did have a lot of conversations too about um, just different, the way that one state is or one area is in terms of the job and the requirements and um, that type of thing, which was pretty interesting and like your pay and things like that, like being able to, (laughs) to bounce that type of those type of things off each other and just kind of see, Hey, I, this is what I make and this is what I do. And here's how I would go about trying to get more money for what I do based off of, like, for example, if you're doing before and after school stuff at a high school and you're doing stuff during the day, you should be getting a stipend unless the job is uh, categorized, not as a teacher. It's like a, it, it's because some public schools have a, it's like a, I think they call it a professional tier because there's like teacher and then there's like professional, which is essentially like office workers and TAs and things like that. And so, mm, yeah. Uh, you don't have your extra stipends. And so like, those are questions when you're going for other jobs that you now know to ask. Uh, And you just know that some jobs are going to have that. Some jobs are not. Uh, And, and at the high school level, dudes are just look, I think guys are just looking out for each other, quite frankly. And at the college level, you may or may not have that. But I think at the college level, there's way more younger coaches involved compared to high school. And that's just me. Interesting. I, feel, I really, I really feel like there's more younger guys in college. I think it's twofold in that the high school jobs typically are higher paying, unless mm-hmm. you're some director at a big college. But just those entry level assistant jobs, I mean, they're not making more money than the high school jobs. You're making thirty yeah. grand or less, and mm-hmm. teacher pay. At I mean, it varies, but like. 45,000, you know, give or take, usually your first year, yeah. if not more, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at. 
And so it, that's, I think that's part of it too, man, is at college you are typically dealing with younger guys that are going to have a little bit of an ego and aren't confident. Where at high school, great at high school, it's definitely way more older guys. I was, I mean, I definitely, I was certainly one of the, there was obviously guys our age, but there was also plenty of, I would say that two thirds of that conference, I mean, you're looking at upper thirties, forties, fifties. That's just me. And I don't mean that as a negative. It's just like, it's just what it is. And I do think Mm -hmm. it's because of your, it's just more stable, more pay that, I mean, that type of stuff. And that was a really long rant, but you got my point. No, that's, that's a good point. Right. Like, uh, thinking back to the the tfcs that we've been to it's typically middle-aged dudes mm-hmm. right right yeah. up my alley yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's perfect awesome well hey fellas let's uh let's close this one out and i think after after this weekend we'll, we'll definitely have some more podcasts coming our way debriefing all the things that we are going to be learning at Seabass and at the, I, I believe they're calling it Revolutions of Speed up there in Minnesota. And uh, we'll hopefully be able to share some war stories and then some practical takeaways and strengthen each other. And at the end of the day, what are we, what are we trying to do and trying to do this for? Just help other coaches, help other athletes and uh, impact people and change lives uh, through this thing that we call sport. So, Fellas, thank you, and uh, yeah, more more to come. The the summer of conferences. Let's keep learning. Thanks for listening to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we also have videos and clips of each episode on our Victory Over Self Athletics YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover. We'll see y'all next time.